Welcome to The Quad Pod, a podcast highlighting life at Baylor School in Chattanooga, Tennessee. Inspired by the many converging paths on our campus where faculty, staff, students, alumni, and families meet, we bring you stories from all angles told by many voices. This episode is hosted by me, Halden Williams, class of 2022. And me, Gail Bailey, class of 23, with studio recording done by Henton Stefanik, class of 23. Ah, the 80s. MTV, Big Hair, Michael J. Fox, Back to the Future, Polaroids, and The Empire Strikes Back. Lots of groundbreaking events happened in the 80s. Yep, I love my YouTube time travels back to the 80s. But you know, perhaps one of the most monumental world events happened right here in Chattanooga in 1985. Do you know what I'm talking about, Halden? The creation of the Riverwalk? Well, that too. Here's a clue. Right, girls at Baylor, obviously. That's right. On this episode, we're going to do a little time traveling. First, we'll go back to 1985 with Scott Wilson, former headmaster, and back in 85, head of admissions at Baylor to get the backstory on Baylor's decision to go co-ed. Then, we'll sit down with Barry and Alexis Bogo, class of 85 and 89 respectively, to get a glimpse from the student perspective of Baylor's transition to a co-ed institution. Next, we'll go back even further to hear the story of a true female pioneer on Baylor's campus, the first full-time female faculty member, Madam Shaney, who began her teaching career at Baylor in 1962. And then finally, we'll travel back to the future, or I guess the present, and hear from four female faculty members who exemplify all the good that was gained by adding women at Baylor. So sit back and relax as we take you through time. And now, episode 13, Celebrating Women at Baylor. I'm from the future. I came here in a time machine that you invented. Now I need your help to get back to the year 1985. First up, we have Jasper Boulay, class of 22, interviewing Scott Wilson, class of 75. Mr. Wilson is known to some as the former headmaster and to others as the former head of admissions. Mr. Wilson worked in admissions in the 80s and 90s during the period in which the decision to allow girls to attend Baylor was made. He is here to tell the admissions perspective of that decision, changing Baylor's course forever. I'm Jasper Boulay, class of 2022. Scott Wilson, class of 1975, uh, retired as head of school uh, in 2021 and taught and coached and worked in the admissions office here from 1981 to 1990. So Mr. Wilson, tell us the backstory of how the co-ed idea came to be. Well, I'm sure it percolated long before um, the fall of 1984, but in the fall of 1984, Dr. Barks, our head of school at the time, uh, took a group of us to on a retreat and stayed for a day and a half and he took uh, it was kind of an assembly of 50 or so um, trustees faculty members alums but also he brought in some experts from outside of baylor so you know really well regarded educators and so we met down there with the idea of talking about what should baylor's future look like especially as it related to the possibility of co-education and it was really an extraordinary 
36 hours of compelling conversation. And at the end of it, we took a straw poll uh, about, you know, should Baylor think seriously about going co-ed or no? And I think that the, the straw poll was like 50 to three. And I was one of the dissenting votes. Wow. <laughs> um, I dissented because I love Baylor so much, and it had been such a great experience for me as a student that I really didn't see um, the wisdom in, in messing with that chemistry. So we get back to campus on the following Monday, and Dr. Barks, the head of school, walks into my office and says, you really don't want to go co-ed, do you? And I went, no, sir, I, I just love it the way it is, and I want to keep it this way. And he goes, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put you in charge of girls' admission. And I said, well, <laughs> okay. <laughs> and so it was some months later before we actually made the, the announcement. But we, we were planning, you know, pretty heavily up till then. And finally, when uh, the school announced, we were ready to roll with an admissions process. And we were going to admit 40 girls to ninth and 10th grade as day students. And, uh, and I went from being a skeptic to being a real believer. Wow. Um, so was there any backlash within the school from the parents and even some past alumni about the decision to go co-ed? Yeah. Um, I think a lot of alums felt the way I did, which is, you know, Baylor was transformationally wonderful in our lives as, as, a, as an all-male school. And so I think a lot of people you know, feared that change. You know, I remember many uh, members of the student body, uh, the guys were a little uh, resistant to the idea at first, mm -hmm. especially the, uh, the seniors mm -hmm. and, and the guys who would be rising seniors and, and be part of the first group of girls coming in. And I mean, some of it was legitimate, but some of it was also, hey, you know, um, can't believe they're messing with our world uh, right now. But I think the vast majority of those of us who worried about co-education hurting Baylor very quickly realized how much it would make Baylor a better place. Yeah. And what were some key changes to the culture and the so-called brotherhood that Baylor had built over the many years? Well, I think, one, we did a great job of picking phenomenal young women, and they wanted to be at Baylor for all the right reasons. You know, and, and a lot of them have really strong Baylor heritage. And so they knew the school, you know, very well. You know, you still in the dorms had a feeling of brotherhood. You know, we really didn't lose that sense mm -hmm. of family yeah. and spirit. It's just the girls kind of bought into it and became part of the family. I mean, it, that was one of those irrational fears that mm -hmm. we kind of carried around with us and, and, and then just learned, you know, learned that it was going to be, be all right. In yeah. fact, be better. Um, when they got here. So kind of a, a fluid question here, but since the, obviously going co-ed in 85, um, how is like, how grateful are you that Baylor took that decision as your own daughters have gone through and then graduated from Baylor? Like how far do you think Baylor has come since that decision? Well, I mean, I, you know, anymore, we don't even think of Baylor as a in quotes co-ed school. It's just Baylor. Exactly. And it, it feels like girls have been here forever. Yeah, I think about that a lot because, you know, I was a dissenter, you know, in, originally. And, you know, the great irony was I've had two daughters graduate from Baylor. And, you know, Baylor changed their lives 
every bit as much as it changed mine. And and they're loyal and, as Mr. Kelly would say, crazy in love with the school the, the way I am. And so, um, you know, I, I'm I'm so grateful they had the chance to go here. And it would have been a it would have been just a shame if they hadn't had that yeah, opportunity. Yes, all right. So good. Yes, sir. Next, we have seniors Gaston Carmichael and Lexi Janos interviewing Alexis and Barry Bogo. Alexis was a member of the first class of girls at Baylor, and Barry was senior the year before the school went co-ed. Here are some highlights from their conversation about what this monumental transition was like from the student perspective. The interview in its entirety can be found on the Baylor SoundCloud page. Have a listen. I'm Gaston Carmichael, class of 2022. I'm Alexis Janos, class of 2022. I'm Alexis Gary Bogo. I graduated um, from Baylor in 1989. My grandfather graduated from here. My father graduated from here. My two uncles have graduated from here. And all of my cousins graduated from here. So it was um, a real honor to be the first class of girls admitted in 1985 and be able to graduate from here as well. I'm married to Barry Bogo, who graduated in 1985. And we have a son here, Blake Bogo, who will graduate in 2024. My name is Barry Bogo, and uh, I graduated in 1985. And I guess my claim to fame is I'm married to the first woman that was admitted into Baylor. So, Mrs. Bogo, as a member of the Fabulous 40, what was your experience like coming to a school that was previously an all-boys school? Well, you know, the decision to go co-ed was made the summer before we entered in 1985. Currently serving on the Baylor Board of Directors, I cannot believe that the Baylor Board was able to pull the trigger that quick and make all of it happen over a, a three-month period. But because of that, everything had to happen so fast. I mean, we had to fill our applications and decide we wanted to go, and then we were admitted. And then a group of, I think, eight or ten of us, um, we actually got to go to this uniform warehouse. I don't even remember where it was, but we walked in and they had uniforms spread out everywhere. And we got to choose the skirt, actually. I don't know if you have the actual one on, but the plaid, the, still the plaid today, we chose that like four weeks before school started. So the first day of class, we didn't have uniforms. We were just in street clothes. And so it was really almost like for the first four to six weeks, like we were visiting. So it gave us a a period of time that I think the boys really looked at us like we weren't really permanent. (laughs) Like they're just visiting. They're not going to actually stay. And they opened the doors for us everywhere we went and were really nice and well-mannered. And like we were just kind of there observing. And then as the uniforms came and as time went on, I think they're like, oh, wow, they're here to stay. (laughs) But um, with only being 40, I mean, you can imagine I was the only girl in most of my classes. Occasionally there was maybe one other girl. There were very few bathrooms on campus, so you really had to be strategic about whether you were changing for after-school sports or just needing to run to the restroom. So there were lots of things I don't think the board thought about when they decided to go co-ed, but for us, we were all just so glad to be here. It didn't matter. It was awesome, that's all I can say. What do you think were the biggest differences between just having boys at school and then when girls came? Do you want to talk about your all-male perspective and all your friends? Well, I could tell you lightheartedly that everybody brushed their teeth and combed their hair uh, <laughs> once girls arrived. But uh, so when we were all boys, it was like a fraternity. It's all we knew. We had never been to school with girls. So it was, I can only imagine it being very different for the following year. Yeah. And, you know, when we got here, the class of 86 was the class that graduated. You know, we, the 40 of us were only freshmen and sophomores, the girls. So there was a whole class of juniors and seniors above us that were still all boys. 
and that senior class, um, there were a couple of people I remember distinctly. Um, John Wise was one of them. Miles Marks, who serves on the board um, currently with myself, was another one. And they really set the tone for the rest of the student body. It was like, they're here. We're going to be nice to them. No bullying, no, you know, whatever shenanigans you boys think you may want to do because there's girls on the campus. They really gave a message to the rest of the student body and and really helped us integrate into the entire student body. I will always remember that. Mr. Bogo, earlier you mentioned how it was like a fraternity before the girls came. Do you think that close bond between students was lost when we went co-ed? You know, I think it's almost more the opposite of that. It's that while we were here and it was all a fraternity, we didn't really have girls as friends. Where you guys have boys as friends, you have girls as friends. We didn't have that opportunity. So for six years when I was here, it was just guys hanging around with guys. Where now we have a son who's here who's 16 years old, and half of his friends are girls. So when he goes on to college, unlike myself, he's going to have a whole different perspective of how to treat the other sex, where we weren't as educated, if you want to call it that, or experienced in hanging out with girls. We would date them. We could hang out with them on the weekends. But during the week, you really never saw anyone. So it's a whole different perspective coming from an all boys versus co-ed. And I think for the better, without a doubt, I think it helps you handle life. Mrs. Bogo, so I understand you've taken on several leadership roles in the community. How do you think Baylor prepared you for these positions? The whole co-education experience and being the first class of girls, we didn't think of it as teaching us leadership. We just, like I said earlier, we're just glad to be here on campus and, and, and part of the Baylor community. But I do think being such a small group, you know, 40 girls and 600 plus boys teaches you, you better take charge and, and have some leadership skills. Or you're going to get left behind or, or lost in the shuffle. So um, that was definitely part of it. You know, Baylor, you all are seniors, so I don't have to tell you, there's so many opportunities to lead out here in a variety of avenues. And, um, and I just took every opportunity, every time there was an opportunity to speak. I ran for student council president or student body president my junior year. I didn't win, but, you know, I had to get up in front of the class and in front of the whole school for that matter and, and, you, you know, tell them why I thought I should be, even though they were like, you have no chance, you're a girl. <laughs> but, but it just, any opportunity that came along, whether it was on the basketball court or on the tennis court or in the classroom or whatever it may be, I just, I felt like there was always opportunities, um, you know, to lead, um, especially um, being a small pack, trying to make sure you were setting examples as, you know, girls came in behind us. I think there were a hundred girls almost by the time I graduated. Um, and, you know, making sure you set examples and, and showed people coming in, you know, underneath you that there's opportunities for everyone to shine here was always important. Um, and the biggest thing that I tell people about in terms of leadership in the community and, and other things that I went on to, to lead or do is when you go to school with that many boys and you are in a classroom, when you're in Major Worsham's classroom and he's talking and he looks at me, he says, Gary, I'm not treating you any different than anyone else who's come through these, you know, these halls. And, and he meant it. And I knew, you know, I don't know if people call stories about Worsham, but he could be mean. <laughs> he, he'd slap you on the back of the head or, or do whatever. And, uh, 
And so, have, you know, you're the only class. Actually, I sat across the um, table from Chris Angel in Major Worsham's class. He, Chris was here and a guy named Greg Wright was here, but I was the only girl. And you experience that. Well, then later in life, whether you're in a college classroom, whether you're in a boardroom, whether you're in a business meeting, you don't see males and females. You're just part of whatever group is sitting in there. And you don't, you know, censor what you say or censor what you do or how you act because you're a woman and the rest of the people in the in the room are men. And that was the number one thing that I learned here was not seeing gender. I just sit in a room with people and I just see people and we all have opinions and, and we all have um, something to bring to the table. But it really, um, I think those, <laughs> those four years of being the minority in more ways than one um, really helped me see life in a more level playing field. Mr. Bogo, can you tell us a little bit about how Baylor helped prepare you for your future? So when I graduated from Baylor, my parents told me that I could go to school somewhere out of the Southeast, knowing that I was probably going to come back here and work. So I was told I could go up North or out West and it was too cold up North. So I chose going out West and I ended up at Arizona State University and had a great we'll call it four and a half years. Um, and then, you know, I will say that graduating from Baylor and going to college, my first year or two at college, I don't know that I lifted a finger or studied one bit. Everything, pretty much everything that was being introduced to me, I had already learned it. I had already been, experienced it from being at Baylor. So the first couple of years were very easy. Obviously, as you get into your college career, it gets more difficult. But uh, I was totally prepared when I went to college except for the fact of dealing with girls. <laughs> uh, and then uh, after college, I came back here to work for my father's company, and I ran it and eventually started my own, and, and I've done it ever since. So I would say that Baylor definitely prepared me for life. Um, and, you know, I think it's a great foundation, and I think you guys are very lucky to, to be here. Mrs. Bogo, when you look at the Baylor campus today, how do you think this grand experiment has played out? What do you see? I see the girls on the campus and the boys on the campus and it's 50-50 and the teams are, you know, the women are competing at the same level in terms of state championships. I mean, just to just to see that evolution of co-education and um, how good it is for both sexes has really been something that back then I didn't even cross my mind. I mean, I just wanted to be on this campus with the boys and to see that come to fruition makes me happy for the whole community and for the, you know, the rest of the history that will come behind us. So, Mrs. Bogo, as such an influential member of the Baylor and Chattanooga communities, what inspires you to give back so generously? Honestly, um, it's just something that you feel in your blood. Like, there's not a choice. It's not like, well, today am I going to be generous or am I not? Or today am I going to give back or I'm not? It's just something that I was born with. Um, you know, my great-grandfather was the second headmaster here. He was the chancellor, vice chancellor at Suwannee and at UC then, University of Chattanooga. Um, my great-grandmother brought the junior league here and started Little Miss Mag. And um, my grandfather was extremely philanthropic. My dad is beyond philanthropic in his own way. And I was taught, I went to my first gala, I think when I was 12 years old with my grandfather called For the Love of Chattanooga. And there was definitely um, always an influence there. And it's just something that's always... I've just felt inside of me. It just comes from the inside out. And um, I think it will always be that way. And I try to 
spread that feeling, you know, wherever I go. And once people start giving back and you feel the joy that giving gives you, I think you'll always do it, so. Thank you. Yeah, thanks for having us. Y'all are very welcome. You guys have a cool story. Women have made significant contributions throughout history and in a variety of ways. We sent junior Owen Trainer and senior Anthony Weekly out to the quad to hear about the influence that inspiring women have played in the lives of Baylor students and faculty. Women's History Month is a time to recollect on the positive influences that women role models have had on everyone's life. Personally, I know that a woman who I admire is my mother because she has sacrificed a lot for me and my siblings. I also admire my mom for how hard she works to support our family. We went out into the quad and asked other people for women they admire. My mom. My mom. Who is a woman you admire? I admire my mother, Marianne Dutcher. She was a kindergarten teacher for over 42 years. She was always a great mother. She came to all of my sporting events. Mom. My mother. My mother. While a good amount of people on campus said they admire their mom, many others also admire women in history. Serena Williams. Harriet Tubman. Rosa Parks. I'm going to have to go with Rosa Parks, though. You know, like, it, admiring her, the struggle and, you know, the adversity she had to overcome and really just persevering and pushing through, you know, and being one of the, the great women of today's society. Maya Angelou. Sandra Day O'Connor. Aside from women in history, many students also admire women faculty members. I admire Keila Jackson because she's multi-talented and um, she inspires other people to be kind and to love themselves. For the Quad Pod, this has been Anthony Weekly and Owen Trainer. Another woman who played a significant role in shaping Baylor's history, a true pioneer, is Madam Mirelle Shaney, the first full-time female faculty member at Baylor. She arrived at Baylor in 1962 and went on to shape the lives of countless students and faculty. One of those impacted by her courage and kindness is current world language instructor Ken Parks, who recently sat down with senior Emma Thompson to share the story of how his friendship with Madam Shaney changed the course of his life forever. Here is his story. My name is Emma Thompson, and I'm a senior here at Baylor. Good morning, I'm Kenneth Parks, and I have been at the Baylor School for 37 years. So, how did you meet Madam Shaney? Wow, how did I meet Madam Shaney? I was a sophomore in high school, and I was employed at Baylor part-time. So, after school, I would get on the gray bus, come to Baylor, and I worked in the kitchen, washing dishes, scrubbing floors, serving the cadets. It was an all-boys school at the time. I was always interested in French. So one day, I approached Madame Cheney as I was serving her. I said bonjour. I greeted her in French, and then... She was quite surprised that this inner city boy could speak French. So at that moment from then, we became friends. She invited me to the foreign language meeting, the French club meetings, uh, on a consistent basis. And from there, 
you know, we became friends. So as time progressed, we didn't see each other for a while, but we spoke on the phone every now and then. And it was in 72 that I met Madame Shaney again in a different environment. I was a student at uh, the University of Tennessee at Chattanooga. She was uh, a part-time instructor at the university. So um, I was in her class. Instead of serving her in the dining room, uh, she was helping to mold and shape my mind as a student, you know, in the classroom. So from there, we continued to remain friends. Wow. So it kind of leads into my next question about what is something you admire the most about her? The most I admire about Madame Shaney is that she believed in this inner city boy who could speak French. She believed in me. Uh, she invested in me. She invested in me the pride. She invested in me wisdom, uh, knowledge, and just being a good person, especially at that time, a, a, a French person whom I had never met before. And she saw all of this in me. It gave me the, 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 the will, the desire to pursue what I'm doing now. It must have taken a great deal of courage to come to Baylor as the first female faculty member. Where do you think she got her strength from? Well, she was in France, Paris, during the, the war. She escaped that. It's worth pausing for a moment to fill in the backstory of Madame Cheney's experience during the war, as it no doubt helped form the fighting spirit she would later become known for while at Baylor. While Madame Cheney didn't often talk about her time during the war, she opened up to Baylor students on a 1977 trip to Normandy. In an article written by former Baylor math teacher Lewis Rush in 1989 commemorating her retirement, Rush tells the story, quote, Madame Shaney had learned to fight long before she came to Baylor. She was one of five daughters born into a Jewish family in Paris. One of her sisters and her sister's family disappeared during the Holocaust. She seldom talks about those days. But in 1977, she joined her dear friend, the late Bruce High, Ray Deering, and 15 Baylor boys in Paris for a trip to Allied invasion beaches of Normandy. Before an afternoon visit to Utah in Omaha beaches, the group sat at lunch. Ray Deering recalls that after Bruce had reminded the students of the significance of some of the places they would visit, Madame Shady quickly began to speak about her life during the war, about witnessing the execution of a friend by a Nazi soldier, and about narrowly escaping death during an Allied bombing raid. We realized that she rarely spoke about these events because they were too painful, Deering said, and we were honored that she believed that this occasion with the Baylor boys a few miles from the site of the Allied landing was the appropriate time and place to share these emotions. We realized that this was a truly special moment and that we were with a special lady whose remarkable courage in the face of hardships and danger will always be an inspiration to us all. It was a moment in life I shall never forget. So, as Rush notes, she was well prepared to meet any challenge. Being at Baylor, being an all-boys school, all-male school, and being the only female teacher, that was a Herculean task right there. <laughs> How was she treated being the only female teacher at Baylor? What I hear is she was well-respected. Being in an environment 
of all boys and willing to sustain just that environment of being around all guys, all male teachers, you know, that sets her aside because today, you know, it's open to the world now, this, this yes. institution. She was tough, demanding, fair. But she was a strict, she believed in what she was doing was worthwhile and doing well. She, she did it well, and she stuck to her guns. So, and she stuck to what she believed in. You know, the boys challenged her, but she had that will to persevere through any. The guys finally came around to wow. being the best they could be under her leadership. And then how has she shaped you into the man that you are today? What she believed in the, on the first, the first day I met her, uh, that stuck with me. And she continued to follow me through the years. So perseverance resilience. Often I think about her spirit, the way she molded and shaped my mind into being a good French teacher. I did work with her. Should I tell you that? Yes. Well, so what happened one day, she called me in 85 and asked me if I wanted to be a French teacher at Bailey, if I wanted the job. I hesitated for a moment, and I said, wow, she believes that I can do this? So I concurred, and I was hired. So I was not only in the dining hall serving in a different, different capacity that day when I first met her, but now I'm at Baylor School in 1985 and helping to mold and shape the minds of students. And I never felt inferior because her support made me strong. It's remarkable. Finally, we join senior Liz Cortez and four fabulous female faculty members, say that 10 times, to talk about leadership, going co-ed, and how they empower and inspire their students. You can hear the roundtable discussion in its full entirety on our SoundCloud page. Here are some highlights. I'm Liz Cortez, and I'm a senior. I'm Betsy Carmichael. I've been here since 1990. I teach all the studio arts classes, primarily AP 2D and drawing and painting. And in the past, I've worked with Walkabout for 10 years. That's me. I'm Kristen Vines, and I came with Betsy in 1990. Uh, classmates, last one standing, and uh, I teach Latin in the middle school. I have taught Latin grades 6 through 12, and I am also the varsity fencing coach here at Baylor. I'm Priscilla Birdsall, and I arrived in the fall of 91. And currently, I'm teaching sixth grade global studies, but I have taught from six through 12 as well. I was the head varsity coach and then assistant varsity coach of girls soccer. I served as a assistant ninth grade, ninth and 10th grade dean. I served for 11 years as the middle school dean of students. So I've worn a lot of different hats in my 31 years here. I'm Takesha Haney and I arrived at Baylor in 1997. 
to teach English, which I still teach. Um, my second year at Baylor, I started as a dorm parent and wore several hats in our residential life program. I was a dorm parent um, for about three years and a dorm head for about 16. And my current role in the Res Life program is as Dean of Students, Dean of Residential Life for the ninth and 10th grades and International Student Advisor. So I'm just gonna get started with the questions. What is a good quality of a leader? Well, I mean, I think at the top of the list, you know, you probably have to put integrity and honesty. You know, people see through those two things immediately if you don't have those qualities. I think uh, listening, empathy, those things are also important. Um, I was going, I second listening. You have to be able to listen to the people who come to you. Um, and you also need to have some patience because there are a lot of things going on and you need to be able to take your time and work through it before coming up with decisions that affect a lot of people. I've already felt the model of uh, servant leadership that you have to lean in just as much as you're asking the people who you're guiding to. So if I, as a middle school dean, say, hey, we're having a dance, I better be there the whole time and not run a shift. So I think you, you lead by showing. I guess one quality that I would add and that a good leader possesses is um, cultivating leadership. You know, understanding that one day you'll no longer be in that role and if you care about the work that you've helped lead, you try to, to bring someone alongside so that they too can assume that, that role and um, continue hopefully the good work that you've started. What are the benefits of a co-ed education? I think they're multifold. You know, this is the way the world looks. You have to be able to communicate with both sexes and work with them and recognize differences. So I think it's the best. <laughs> Having worked in a single sex education, I'm totally for this. I am a graduate of an all-female university. And when I first entered the workplace, I really was uncomfortable around men. And uh, some of them took advantage of that and I learned to fight back and got over it. But I think it would have done me some good to have had more interaction with the other species than to be only insulated in a feminine bubble. Um, how do you empower your students? I believe in the art studio, you know, especially with the AP kids, you know, they all have a chance to make, to make their own portfolio with their own point of view. And it's always different. So um, try to affirm what they're doing. Of course, I'm not sure they wouldn't always say I'm <laughs> affirming. They might go, you're so critical. But they always get better, and that's part of the process. But um, I think just give me an opportunity to express whatever they choose. I don't know if it's empowerment, but I do model for them that everybody makes a mistake, and so they shouldn't be afraid of that. And I do that by making mistakes in front of them and going, oops, and letting them actually see me make the mistakes and model, oh, wow, I didn't exactly know that, but I gave it a shot. Because what I'm finding more and more with my middle school students is if they don't know the answer, they're afraid to try. And so I'm trying to empower them to let that go and to take a chance. I agree with that, that um, sometimes students just need encouragement, right, and affirmation. 
Um, and so in the class, sometimes it's just a nudge, you know, for a student um, hearing that someone believes in them, I think is empowering, right? And so whether that's um, to try, I don't know, honors or to try AP or to really go for it with this recitation, you know, um, I've seen really, I think, students just flourish with just a little, a little nudge. I think also the affirmation comes that you, you care for them even if they don't make an A. Right. Because, you know, not everybody's going to make an A and not everybody's going to be perfect and that's what they all want. But to know that you still care about them and that you still value them even if they didn't make a 100 is very important. I think it's in the quiet moments. It's not necessarily in class. Um, I'll give you an example that just happened recently. Kids in the middle school come into class before class begins. They just don't hang out in the hall. And so I noticed that this one group of kids that I had in one class would come in and just sit and read. And so I said to them, you know, what? and they said, well, it's just quiet in here. So I said, well, do you want me to create a quiet space for you? And so we now have a newly formed club. So I named it. I sent out invitations to kids, and I have 12 kids. We're meeting tomorrow for donuts. The library is sponsoring us for our first share out. And we're the page turners. And we just sit quietly on Friday mornings and read. And that has connected me in a different way with these kids because I'm reading what they're reading. So that's just a different way to honor who they are, which then empowers them because now they're like, it's cool to read. I'm part of this group. It has created a dialogue that never would have happened. And it has created a space for some of our kids who, who might not be athletes or might not be the top of the class. But they now have, they're empowered to say, it's cool to read and this is a passion of mine. Why do you think you've stayed at Baylor so long? I like what I do. I like interacting with middle school children. I like watching them grow. I have once heard it said that true happiness is when you can find someone to pay you for doing what you like. And I get paid to teach Latin and stab children. So I think I'm in a pretty good spot. Um, for me, I, I, I echo what, what Kristen said. I, I love what I do. I also love the people I came from a military family background and so every couple of years you know we were moving and I, I learned at an early age that you have to I had to create community wherever I went like be intentional about it um, and when I came to Baylor I really thought I'll be here for a few years and then I'll move on um, but because of the tribe of people um, that I met and the support that I got from them um, I realized that they're my people and I have felt um, incredibly, in incredibly um, fortunate to be here, so. Yes, I mean, I feel like I'm blessed every day when I drive in and I'm going, wow, this is really unique to be able to come to work with all of these people. And plus, you know, I get to laugh a lot working with kids and most jobs you don't do that. <laughs> and I've, I've grown here, I've had opportunities to grow. So, yeah, it's been a, it's been great. Well, thank you all for doing this. Thank you again. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you too. You too.
It's safe to say that the decision made in the 1980s changed the course of Baylor's history forever, permeating to the lives of many students and faculty members. Where would it be without women? Special thanks to Scott Wilson, the Bogo family, Ken Parks, Priscilla Birdsall, Tatisha Haney, Betsy Carmichael, and Kristen Vines for being a part of making this episode possible. Finally, a special shout out to Baylor faculty member Cecily Honeycutt for providing inspiration for this episode. This has been Gail Bailey and Halden Williams, and we'll see you in the next episode of the Quad Pod.